Welcome to the Learner-Centered Spaces podcast, where we empower and inspire ownership of learning. Sponsored by Mastery Portfolio. Hosted by Star Saxstein and Crystal Frommer. In each episode, we will bring you engaging conversations with a wide variety of educators, both in and out of the classroom. This podcast is created for educators who want to learn more about how to make the shift toward learner-centered spaces for their students, schools, and districts, or education at large. The Learner-Centered Spaces podcast is now a member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Dr. Chris Yoakum is the chair of the Department of Teacher Education at Fort Hayes State University. A former ESL and Spanish teacher, Chris now leads a large teacher preparation program. With an enrollment of over 900 students, his department offers virtual and on-campus programs throughout the U.S. and abroad. Chris also serves his profession as director of the National Center for Clinical Practice and Educator Preparation, and in January will begin terms on the Accreditation Commission for AAQEP, which is the Association for Advancing Quality in Teacher Preparation. Along with serving on the advisory board for the Academic Chairpersons Conference, as a speaker, trainer, and coach, Chris has experience working with teachers and leaders in higher education and K-12 in the U.S. and abroad. His recent book is titled The Department Chair, A Practical Guide to Effective Leadership. Good morning, Chris. We're so excited to have you on our podcast this morning. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Um, something about the role that you're in, where you are? And a little bit about your journey, maybe an interesting fact people might not know about you. Yeah, well, hey, thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be with you and your listeners today. So uh, my name is, is Chris Yoakum, and I currently serve as the chair of the Department of Teacher Education at Fort Hayes State University. And Hayes, Kansas is located in, uh, in, in western Kansas, about equidistance between Denver and Kansas City. And I've been in my role. This is my uh, eighth school year. And we are very fortunate to have a, a, a pretty large teacher prep program, both online and face-to-face. So um, a lot of moving parts and a lot of opportunities to interact with folks all across the country. Uh, my journey uh, started in, in K-12. I, my first job was at the time what we called an ESL or English as a Second Language teacher. Uh, I then finished my career as a high school Spanish teacher. Uh, got into higher ed after I, I finished my, my PhD, uh, spent eight years uh, at University of Nebraska Kearney teaching future foreign language and ESL teachers, and now I'm uh, again at Fort Hayes in more of an administrative role uh, leading the, uh, the Department of Teacher Education. Uh, interesting fact, I, I don't know if there's too much interesting, but um, some people think it's it's interesting that I that I speak Spanish, so I guess I'll I'll go with that for my uh, for my interesting fact is that I can speak another language. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I I love speaking to folks who work with pre-service teachers. It's actually something um, I go out of my way to spend some time with pre-service teachers, even though I don't um, actually teach them right now. And I think what you're doing is really, really important because education has changed so much. And when I think about my teacher ed program, what feels like a million years ago at this point, um, I find that I was not as prepared for the actual work that I was doing as a high school English teacher as I would have wanted to be. 
So as we start thinking about what learner-centered spaces are, can you tell us a little bit about how your program teaches teachers to create what learner-centered spaces are? Sure. You know, that that's a great question. And, and I think even in higher ed, uh, we, we have similar, I guess, challenges or obstacles that we have to maneuver similar to, to creating those spaces in, um, in pre-K-12. Uh, for example, we do walk what I would call a tightrope between state and national standards of practice. So uh, the State Department of Ed says we have to meet certain program outcomes and we have to have traditional assessments for those. And then our national accreditor um, which almost every teacher prep program in the country um, is accredited by one of there's two main accreditors right now. And so we walk that tightrope between the national standards of practice, preparing our students for exit exams, which are, are very traditional in nature. Um, but we're also, you know, we also need to model, like you said, best practice. Uh, and, and just to touch on something that, that, that you said, uh, I don't know, even in the best of scenarios, any teacher ed program 100% prepares us because what I what I tell people, especially our principals and superintendents, is a brand new teacher does not roll off the assembly line at graduation. You you roll off the assembly line probably about the end of year three. Um, you know, even the best teacher prep programs, and I think we have a really great one here. Uh, we we get people ready to, to start the profession. And then as you both know, uh, for better or for worse, the culture and, and climate of the school takes over and kind of puts on the finishing touches. But, but nonetheless, what, what we have done here uh, to create learner-centered spaces, uh, and, and I have great faculty, is we have taken that approach in our classroom, certainly the ones that are in, in teacher education, of what we all know is looking at that, that assessment uh, for learning, not just assessment of learning. And, and my job as a department chair, uh, I like to create a culture of, of why not instead of why when people come to me with questions. And so I, I've had a couple faculty members that have, have adopted more uh, what we would call learner-centered approaches in terms of assessment um, in their classes. And, and we've leaned into it and we've said, yes, let's try this. As long as we're within our guidelines, we're modeling, um, modeling that, that, that practice and that, that behavior for our students. So uh, I would say in, in higher ed, maybe similar to the public schools, while we do have front-facing entities that, that, we, that we must, uh, that we must um, adhere to, uh, we can still, in our own classrooms, in our own programs, ensure that we are modeling learner-centered spaces. And in my mind, that that that, that's, that that hinges upon how we approach assessment and the message that assessment sends to our students. So, Chris, you just said so much, and I have, I, I could ask like 20 different follow-up questions, honestly. Um like the, the first thing I was thinking about was your, you know, culture of why not. I, I wanted to lean into that a little bit more. And then this last part that you just spoke to um, about, um, you know, how no program adequately really prepares teachers, because this is definitely a job you have to do to learn and decide who you're going to be in that space and how responsive you're going to be to the kiddos that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this last part that you just talked about with the learner-centered atmospheres and how that might be different in a higher ed setting versus, you know, preparing 
higher ed folks for their jobs in you know K-12 education. So if you could pick any of those ideas to sort of start digging into a little more deeply, um, specifically about the culture of learning in, in your program, that would be awesome for our listeners. Okay, well, I, I will um, just touch on one thing that, that you pointed out, and, and this is truly a shout out to, to the, the people that literally every day get up and teach our kids in K-12. Uh, it's as difficult as it is rewarding. We know that. Um, and so please know that those of us in teacher prep, while we work very hard, uh, and I think we have great programs based upon our standards and metrics, uh, I would be remiss if we thought that we, we roll out a fully prepared teacher. Um, I, I think it's disingenuous to the, to the public schools to say that they don't have a role because they do. Um, the other thing uh, is that I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I have great people in my department. Um, we're very intentional about how we go about not only hiring, but, but everyone has a role in, in, you know, I know my roster. And so in our department, I think we are very good at modeling best practice, uh, certainly with respect to learner-centered spaces and assessment, uh, primarily because we're we're, we're flexible enough and, dare I say, humble enough that we, we stay in contact with people in K-12. Um, we keep, keep on top of things and, and, and follow uh, literature and are aware of podcasts like yours. And so we know that we should be, uh, we should be working in response to K-12. We don't set the tone for K-12 education. We work in response so we can hopefully get our students to the, the best level of preparedness we can before they go out. I love that the exchange of, you know, you're not, it's like the chicken before the egg, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Of, you know, who's, who's leading who and the cart before the horse. So um, thank you for sharing all of that. And I, I think there's so many, I, I don't have numbers, but I, I think there are many K-12 educators who will say, you know, we have to give them, the five paragraph essay. We have to give them the unit test. We have to give them, the, when I say them, the students, um, these these more traditional types of assessments and because we're preparing them for college. And then when Star and I are interviewing professors at the university level, we almost always hear that, no, we, we're very student-centered, learner-centered here at university and the assessments are a little more alternative. Um, so what advice would you have for you know, a teacher, specifically a high school teacher who says, I have to get them ready for university level. So I've got to do these traditional assessments. What advice would you have for that person? Well, quick advice is, you know what, it's your classroom. You're the, you're the instructional leader. You do what you know, what's best for your kids. Because uh, the other thing is, and I've heard that too. um, Look, I work in higher education. It's been great to me and my family, but you know what, higher ed is not for everyone. And that's okay. Um, there are some kids that their skill set and their talents lend themselves better to, to, to a trade. Heck, those of us in K-12 understand that if we're just looking at finances, some of those pay a lot better than, than those of us that, you know, had to get a master's to get a pay raise in K-12. So uh, I've heard that too. Uh, and I've never as a college teacher once gone to a high school teacher and said, now listen, this is what's in my syllabus. We need to do this. You are the instructional leader of your classroom. You do what you know is best for kids. 
And you know what? Kids are kids are flexible. They're very adaptable. Even if they come to a college class that maybe doesn't follow what we would consider best practice, I think they'll adapt. I think at the end of the day, uh, they're going to be better prepared for being in a great classroom. Uh, I also tell our students every year, I, I, I get a meet with the freshmen, and we'll usually have about 70 on-campus freshmen that want to be teachers. And I tell them, I'm going to put great people in front of you, but you have probably already had the best teacher you're going to have because that, you know, that's where the teaching happens. And so, uh, yeah, do what you want to do. It's your classroom. You're the expert. Um, I shouldn't say this, but don't, don't worry too much about higher ed. Let the counselors worry about you know, what they need to get in and this and that. You do what you know what's best for kids. I think assessment plays obviously a really big role in not only centering students in their learning, um, but when in my current job where we prepare teachers, uh, we try to convey that assessment sends a message to kids. Uh, and, and I think we all know this if we've been in school. You know, while some kids like or dislike school more than others, when you really see that shift in those that do and don't is usually around fourth grade because a lot of times that's when we start to use that quantifiable assessment to send messages, be it direct or indirect, to students, to their families, and all of those. So I think the first, my first thought on that question is we need to be cognizant that um, it plays a role in centering students and their learning by by sending them a message that sometimes, uh, even if we're not trying, can give them the message that they're inadequate simply because of, you know, a grade, a percentile, a stay nine score. And so obviously um, it's not a true indicator of who they are, um, but a lot of times uh, if we're not careful, it can send the message of, of kind of this dichotomy of the good students and the bad students. Um, you know, an, an analogy that comes to my mind when I have uh, shared this in my profession, training teachers, and uh, I use this. I'm a big leadership uh, fan, and I read John Maxwell, and for years he's talked about the difference between a travel agent and a tour guide. And I've always thought that works really well in assessment because um, we could be a travel agent, and we could simply send our students down a path and say, you know, do this, uh, it's a checklist, you get a grade and we're really not going to come alongside you. We're just going to um, send a message. Um, or you could be a tour guide where you literally come alongside the students. You come alongside the people. You go where they've never been. You show them along the way. And success isn't simply did you go and come back and you know pay the bills for the trip. It's what did we do? Did we achieve some objectives? Uh, did we learn something? And more importantly, do, could we do it again? Um, and so I, I do think uh, that it's important for all teachers, certainly future teachers, to understand that their role in assessment is to be truly, um, truly someone that comes alongside the students and that they are always sending a message. And it's about the journey and it's about how they can get better, how they can move the needle from point A to point B, as opposed to just this um I guess, traditional mindset where uh, here's, you know, we'll say here's the unit, you do the work, you don't do the work, a percentage tells me uh, the extent to which that, that you've met the objectives and, and we move on. So uh, we've also, uh, you know, Crystal, in, in, in my current role, we've even made some changes in our admission standards to the teacher education program 
to better reflect um, learner-centered environments and learner-centered assessments. So we used to require a standardized test as one of the requirements to get in the program because our accreditor said we had to. As soon as they changed that requirement, we called a meeting and realized that uh, we needed to change that because we had pretty clear data uh, that even in higher education, among students who want to be teachers, it was sending a message of inadequacy to some of these students and in many ways keeping great people out of the classroom. So so those are a couple, uh, I guess, thoughts that come to my mind about assessment, both, both in my own uh, practice um, and then uh, currently what we do uh, with our future teachers. So I, I love that with the tour guide versus the travel agent. You know, I, I, you and I are of the age where we still remember what travel agents are. Right? <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, we might have people that uh, if you grew up and you never had to change the channel for anybody, you might not know what a what a travel agent is. But yeah, thank you for pointing that out. My aunt was a travel agent, and I always thought she had the coolest job because yep. she had um, brochures at her her office. So, um, so what a what a cool way to describe how we as educators are traveling along with our children's uh, or our, our students' journeys um, in their learning and, and how we're looking at what they're learning in their assessment. Um, can I ask you a, so a follow-up question? So what are you looking at in admissions if you're not looking at standardized testing? Is there other data that you look at in the admissions process? Yeah, yeah. And, and we have there are two main accreditors, uh, national accreditors for teacher prep programs. Some states, um, it just depends on the state. But in any event, most universe, colleges and universities in the country have some, some set, of, set of criteria that, let's say, about the sophomore year in college students have to meet to continue. Um, while we do have uh, a GPA requirement, there's some, some classes, a few gen eds that students have to take that we feel um, prepare them to be, be a good teacher. Specifically, what we were requiring were um, scores on the ACT or the SAT, uh, the part of the country we're in. It's more common for kids to take the ACT, but we get students from all over. And I, I've always said, hopefully it's a safe place in this podcast, um, if, you can ever, if you can ever capture work ethic and put it on a standardized test, I, I, I might put a little more stock into it. And, and we, had, we had found that. So the things that we had asked our students to do that they could control on campus, they were by and large doing a fine job. They were, were meeting the GPA criteria. Um, they were taking the, the prereqs and doing a fine job. Uh, it's just that some of them, uh, as many people do, had some test anxiety. And at the end of the day, we were a, a teacher prep program that prided ourselves on best practice, yet we were almost shouting through a megaphone to students that this score on a standardized test in some way is determining whether or not you can be a teacher, even though you've done everything else right. And so that was a, a pretty good day for us. And I think even the students probably would say it was an even better day when, when we changed that requirement. And I, yeah, I can tell you now, Crystal, that we... Um, we don't have the issues of students coming to us saying, you know, I've done everything but this test. I'm a 4.0 student, except I didn't meet this metric on the, you know, math portion of a standardized test. And um, so I'm really proud of our people. 
I'm the chair of the department, but um, believe it or not, that decision was, it had to be a group effort. And um, the folks I work with are great, great people, great educators, and they really, really took the lead on that. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're proud of that because we modeled best practice and I think sent the correct message uh, to, to our students. That's really neat. Um, so my next question is, you know, if, if you're an educator listening to this podcast and, and you work in a traditional style type of school, but you want to be more learner-centered in your mm-hmm. own four walls of your classroom, what advice do you have for them? I, this is the advice that I would give any educator when they want to do something or grow is, first of all, do it. Um, now, granted, with <laughs> get administrative approval, it depends on on uh, on how uh, significant of a change. But here's the thing: as educators, uh, it's usually the noise outside of the classroom that either stresses people or, unfortunately, gets them out of the field. Um, you control what's what's in those four walls. So, what I would say is, do it and start small. Um, recruit a colleague or a friend if possible, but if you're the only one, if you feel like you're on an island and you have this this crazy idea um, that you want to create a more learner-centered space, uh, just pick one thing. Pick pick one thing that you do. It could be an assignment. It could be a unit. You don't have to overall, overhaul your entire grading uh, scheme, all of your lesson plans. Uh, you know, you're you're busy. Um, but the best way to start momentum is with a single movement. And so I would say, just pick one thing, pick one thing. And based upon best practice of learner centered spaces of measuring students progress, uh, and, and communicate that obviously communicate that to your students, communicate it to their families, uh, and, and be willing to adapt and change. So just start, start somewhere. It can be small, but a small movement still creates momentum. And before you know it, you might look back and in three years, you've completely overhauled what you're doing and maybe uh, recruited a few colleagues and perhaps have, um, have uh, convinced the, the, the culture of the school or the administration that it might be a, a good way to go for the building. That's great advice. Just do one thing. Just get started. I like that. So over your journey of your career, are there any particular people you'd like to shout out to or thank? Oh, wow. Um, well, you know, like like most of us that got into education, I, I had great teachers, uh, great coaches, great fill-in-the-blank people that, that really spoke into my life. Um, instead of trying to, to leave some people in and leave some people out, I think the shout-out I would like to give uh, actually is t- to the great uh, faculty, staff, and most importantly, students that I get to work with every day here at Fort Hayes State. Uh, we we literally and figuratively walk up and down our halls, or you can look in our online classes, and 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 we have we have full classes of people that want to be educators. And I'm I'm really fortunate that I just work with a great group of people that help us each and every day. Uh, prepare teachers at many levels. We have traditional cert, we have alternative cert. Uh, so I would just say my shout out is to my 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 superstar team of faculty, staff, and students. Uh, they certainly make my job very enjoyable and probably a lot easier than 
than it otherwise would be. Uh, so I'd just like to shout out to all those folks and, and thank them for all they do. And certainly our students thank them and, and uh, you know, wish them well in, in their, their future future profession. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This has been fantastic. And I hope our listeners start doing that one thing, you know, just make the change. So thank you for that advice. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for learning with us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you'd like any additional information from the show, check out the show notes. Learn more about Mastery Portfolio and how we support schools at masteryportfolio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Mastery for All and on LinkedIn on the Mastery Portfolio page. And we'd love your feedback. Please write a review on your favorite podcasting app.